Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hello, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the program. At this hour, as New York City rents become more expensive, many residents are facing the possibility of being priced out of their apartments or having to dedicate large portions of their incomes to housing. In fact, that means you need to make six figures to afford living in many of the city's most desirable neighborhoods. We will discuss. Also at this hour, from social media to virtual reality, it's all about closing the deal. Two of the platforms of the moment, Facebook Live and Snapchat, may not be truly revolutionary revolutionary for the real estate world, but according to interviews with a handful of top New York-based brokers and agents who are making these mediums part of their sales and promotion strategies, there are plenty of ways to use them to connect and transact in new ways. Let's see how important these platforms are. The panel will weigh in on that as well. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. The panel is here as always, and we'll get to all of that and much more. But first, the news. Well, it happened this past weekend, SantaCon. Did anybody see SantaCon in this town this weekend? I completely avoided that. Where the bars and streets of New York once again get flooded for a day. If you live under a rock and haven't seen or heard of SantaCon, it's that one time of year where flocks of Santa and elf impersonators embark on a festive bar crawl. I can only just imagine what this must look like. Uh, I'm not that young. (laughs) Not that young. (laughs) No, these are all not not young people. Making Millennials, actually. Uh, The worst. Making a booze-fueled scene through the city that you'll either find amusing or annoying to watch. It all went down this past Saturday, December 9th. It began at 10. And as the annual tradition goes, the official route that SantaCon will follow doesn't always get released until at least the night before. So you have to kind of figure out where you're going to hang out or hang your Santa hat. Anyway, it's kind of a nuisance I stayed in and cooked all day. But don't some of the proceeds go to a nonprofit? I don't know about the well. That would make I was going to say, or hang yourself because it's an awful time in the city. It totally. Well, if it did go to a nonprofit, that would be worth the aggravation. But I, I'll, I don't know. To tell you the truth, that's interesting. Anyway, a car dealership at the intersection of 11th Avenue and West 47th Street in Hell's Kitchen is set to be replaced by a 12-story condo building. The Real Deal has reported this week the development consortium known as CBSK Iron State is in contract to purchase this large site located at 646 11th Avenue for $93 million. While the sale hasn't closed yet, the developer is hopeful it will it will close by February of 2018. Subsequently, the developer intends to file plans for a 12-story condo building with 225 apartments. At present, the site is home to a Lexus dealership, which has been there for many years. The two-story structure is housed. It is housed in will become uh, uh, knocked down to make way for the condo building, but the Lexus dealership will return anew in the new building. The developers are hoping to offer up the ground floor and the basement levels back to Lexus, which... Uh, would be a cool thing when the condo building opens. Construction on the project is expected to get underway shortly after the sale of the site closes next year. Does anybody know what development that's going to be? I hadn't even heard about it until I found this research last week. Yeah, no, I think that that's been underway for it's restarted after it was a, a deal fail, failed um, probably in 2009. 
Interesting. The harsh reality of living in New York City is that for many people, home ownership is not a likely possibility. A, a tw- 2016 report issued by NYU's Furman Center took a look at the cost of buying a home and found that you need to be wealthy if owning here is a dream you hold dear. Recent studies would appear to back that up. Brick Underground recently reported that mortgage and home loan information publisher HSH.com came up with the most uh, recent figures for what one needs to earn in order to buy a home in the city, and it still isn't promising. Per HSH's findings, that's a mouthful, it would take an annual salary of at least $99,151 to buy a typical house or apartment in New York City. Of course, this is assuming you have already put down a 20% down payment, have a debt-to-income ratio of 28%, and a 30-year fixed mortgage rate with an APR of around 4%. If it makes you feel any better, New York is only the fifth most expensive city for home ownership in the country, falling behind San Jose, San Francisco, San Diego, and Los Angeles. Uh, If you are hunting for the perfect property in New York City, how do you submit the winning bid and beat out the competition? Good question. We're going to talk about that with the panel in a few minutes. But first, I want to say good morning to uh, Raymond Lord from Douglas Elliman, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Louise Phillips Forbes from Hallstatt. We have a few others coming in shortly. How is everybody today? Good morning. morning. Excellent. Feels like it's going to be spring again today. I was in an Uber car coming here, and there was air conditioning on. And I looked at the driver, and he said, "Are you warm?" I said, "Well, not really." He so said, you just put down the windows. It was be- it's beautiful today. I know, it's absolutely beautiful. Hot well, flashing, so I'm always hot. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm you are always hot, hot anyway. <laughs> Isn't another fact? I mean, like, I was up at like ten after five outside, and my home, the homeless guy didn't have a blanket over him, so I knew it was warm out. That's how I. That's how I judge every day. Your temperature thermometer. Wow, the homeless guy in my corner is actually yeah, the greatest. But, but but wait a minute. Tonight it's going to be down in the low 30s. We're plummeting, and it's going to stay that way for days and days and days. Because it's Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah, and it's the holiday season, <laughs> and it's a whole bunch of whatever. But I mean, I mean, look, what are you going to do, right? Anyway, if you're hunting for the perfect property in New York City, how do you submit the winning bid and beat out the competition? That's a good question, and we as agents go through this on a regular basis. It's not always fun, but it happens. As you probably know by now, the good times are on hold at the moment in New York City real estate, but when the markets are strong, it creates a frenzy on the buy side. Whether you're looking for a brownstone condo or co-op, inventory is generally tight in New York City, properties usually reach record prices for, per square foot and go into contract in record time. Submitting the winning bid could be something that you or your broker may be able to achieve on the first property you fall in love with, or it could take several tries. Don't get hung up on the striking on striking out. Pick yourself up and keep looking for the property that you want, and eventually you'll be the one to submit the winning offer. I mean, it all sounds you know nice and 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 challenging but when you're actually you don't really get it and you don't really understand it until you're actually in a situation where you're up against competition and you want a property and you can't have it because you didn't put in the winning bid so what are some of the tips that you can you know utilize to you and your broker to get that property that you want so desperately because sometimes you know you find an apartment quickly or sometimes it takes a while and you identify it as this is my home this is what i want Mm -hmm. What I've always, you're too late to the table. What I've always found is is there's a big advantage being the first one in. Whether I mean, obviously make it a great offer, but even if it's not, just make an offer because I found that sellers kind of adopt the first person. And I, I think that also from my own experience, 
being, go ahead. No, no, go Being a, somebody who specialized for many, many years working with buyers is that it's part of your educational process of walking through, um, you know, how you prioritize something and the best way to, one, prepare them by putting their team together, who their attorney is, do they need to sell. But I, I also think letting them know a little something about your your person from an individual. And in many cases when there are multiple bids, I have my purchasers write a letter, drop it off with the doorman directly to saying that, you know, my broker has put an offer in and I just want you to know that this is the home for my family and I would like to have the next chapter of our life. And you just give them a little insight because they don't become a number, they become a person. It's very true and, and, and Ray kind of touched on that as well. You know, I, I started doing that many, many years ago with having them write a nice letter of introduction to the sellers, you know, that you can submit with the offer because, hey, look, at the end of the day, it's a human transaction but you know sometimes you get caught up in numbers and sometimes you get caught up in a whole bunch of stuff but if you do that you know you might stand out but there are also some other things well offer more cash down maybe if that's a, a situation waive the contingency i mean there are some things that you can do to make yourself more you know attractive to a seller i also think outside of more uh, logistical things you can do i agree with louise and ray i mean whatever you can do to make yourself more personalized to the seller, um, you know, have the seller connect with you more is always a benefit. And, and I think, you know, just like Louise and I always talk about the package of putting together a listing correctly. It's also the package of putting together a buyer in, you know, a bidding war situation because when it, like I even sometimes will have, when I submit an offer in a bidding war situation, I'll actually submit pictures of my buyers, um, you know, for the broker to share with her seller, his or her seller. Um, I'll submit stories. I'll submit what's going on in their life. It's not all about, you know, the purchase price. It's about, you know, having the seller be able to connect with the buyer in a way that is just less transactional, I guess. And emo- the, pulling the emotional string to it and making it about the real individual, obviously doing your best to make a fair deal, but, you know, create the win-win. Like, what's going to make, put yourself in the seller's f- you know, shoes and your cash is valuable because it's a, certainly more cer- it gives you more certainty. But at the end of the day, if somebody's taking a mortgage and is giving $50,000 more, then that's a lot of money to leave on the table. It's also, I mean, for all those agents out there that listen to our show, like, this is also one of the best reason, not best, but on the top reasons to have a good reputation in this business. Like the better your reputation is with other brokers, the more they're going to want to do transactions with you. I can't tell many tell you how many times I've you know brought a buyer to a listing where I, I have a relationship with that broker, and they're definitely fighting for me a little bit more because we like each other and we want to do business with each and other. And they've worked with you before, and they know that they can get a deal done. But you do yeah. what you exactly. say you're going to do. Very exactly. Important. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And and on top of that, I, I've always, I think arguably the biggest is timing. I think every seller has an emotional, you know, <laughs> just an emotional stance on their timing. And I always suggest to buyers, you know, when they're like, so what, what do you think about our closing time? When's that going to be? I'll always say, if you really want the apartment, say that you're open to whatever the seller is looking for. Because I, I really find that if you yeah, can match your timing, that's a huge piece or of the equation. Or a post-occupancy agreement. Right. Where and, I, and I just did that, actually, and we closed two weeks ago. But let me ask a question. You know, we, We've talked about this on the program before. So cash is king, as they always say. However, 
I've won uh, bidding wars, non-cash or finance deals. So how how much cash are you seeing out there in the I have a lot play? of cash deals right now. I just had a situation where last week I had three deals that signed and closed on the same day for two of them. Mm. And uh, the other one was four days. And that's a situation where I had um, someone who lost her husband and has two small children. And I told the whole story. And I then sent that seller who was a developer, I sent video of the kids twirling in the apartment because they were, it was really, and he's like, you know, you just made my day because he put a deal together that he really didn't have to do. So I just, that's a moment for the holidays. That's a definite moment for the holidays. And, and, you know, like I said, you know, just be, be crisp with your with your offer, make sure that you're pre-approved and you submit with your offer, of course, offer more cash down if that helps, waive the mortgage contingency, be agreeable to the seller's terms, write a nice letter, as we said, to the sellers and offer the highest price or the best price that you can, where, like I always say, that you can put your head on the pillow at night and say, I got myself a good deal, I bought myself a beautiful apartment, and I didn't overpay, at least in my mind, I'm comfortable with where I'm going. I'm just going to add one more thing before you move on, because it also helps when you have your own real-life experience, Mm -hmm. and I paid the highest purchase price on Butter Lane in Bridgehampton, I paid the highest purchase price in Montauk, I paid the highest purchase price in my own building, not once, but twice because I duplexed and I think that you have to one you want to be a smart buyer but you also want to buy for your life and and that for me those have been good investments obviously I, I, I stick to what I know which is real estate but I think that there is an emotional value and I also when I bought my first piece of property amortized like going $35,000 above my asking price what that would be for five years. And that like seems to be more palatable. Right. Yeah, it's nothing. All right, we have to leave it there. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Yeah. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. We are back with Peru Brombat from Compass, Luis Phillips Forbes from Hall State Real Estate, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Ray Lord from Douglas Elliman, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. We want to say congratulations to Dad. He just became a dad for the second time. Second time. A boy this time. And a boy this time. What's the name? Dennis, which is uh, my dad's name, who passed away uh, this year. Right. Um, So, yeah, we're all ecstatic. He's beautiful. Perfect. Oh. Absolutely. How long? How old now? A couple of weeks? Three weeks. Yeah. Is it is something? clearly the best thing that any of us have done when we have our children. <laughs> Before we get on to other panel topics, I want to ask about leasebreak.com and where are we with this whole controversy? And I don't even want to mention the other site, but what's right. what's the deal these days? Um, Update okay. us. <clears throat> so there's there's still a lot going on. Like I, so you remember in the beginning, it was crazy. All the brokers were talking about it. This mm. is nuts. You know, panning, street easy. And I've said from the beginning, and I think most of us agree, that the worst mistake Streetsy ever made was the way the business decisions they made in the first six months of this year. And, well, so it, and how they made them. How they made them. And then holding people hostage. Yes, exactly. And the straw that brought the camels back was when they started to charge brokers in the height of the summer rental season. They started charging rental brokers ninety dollars a month per listing. Unbelievable. It, outrageous. Mm-hmm. And what what was their plan? Get a monopoly, essentially. Get as many listings. Of, they bought naked apartments, bought street easy, right? And then they spent a lot of money on advertising, and they had as much market share as possible, and then they turned it on. So I believe there are dire consequences when that happens, and you already see it. You see the competition coming out of the woodwork. You see the New York Times now is taking the RLS feed. You see the real deal is taking. The New York Times is back, big time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. New York Times. Look, these things are going to happen. People are like frustrated, like, but the New York Times, it sucks. Like, it's not. It will just. You have to just. It's a process. I could Mm -hmm. tell you as someone that owns a website, it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of time. It took Street Easy ten years to become Street Easy. Absolutely. So it does take time. So people just have to have patience. But I, I could tell you. I'm about to put a, an email out soon to everybody. The traffic's down. The mm-hmm. last six months, mm-hmm. down 50% Street Easy's traffic. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like a big deal. So it's it's working. But you kudos know? to you because I, I, I smile broadly when I look at my inbox sometimes, my email, and I mm-hmm. get an inquiry about one of my rental exclusives, and it Through comes from leasebreak.com. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. And I'm like, now now that's progress. Okay, yes. we're making progress. Yes. Now, uh, to talk about lease break, I just wanted to say, so we, we, were, we became number one in short-term rentals and lease breaks in a couple of years. We were not number one and still are not number one in the 12-month rental sector. Right. I believe, I'm sure most of you agree, that with the name lease break, it may be difficult to really break into that sort of normal 12-month space. And that's why the last two months, I'm working like crazy. I have the kid. I have him working. But I promise you- Rebranding? I'm co- well- Lease break will always still be lease break because right. it works. People love the site. Right. It works for what it is. But we're going to launch a new product and we are going to take them on head on. So just you know, keep in touch, keep in tune, keep. I'll keep you posted. You um, have you trademarked so. the name yet? Uh, I'm not even worried about that at this point because the name is such a random name that it's not. <laughs> you know I mean? You've heard it here yeah. first. Yeah. So anyway, I'll 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 announce it on the show for How sure. Okay. It'll probably be early next year. 
Perfect. Careful, Louise will buy the name and sell it back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, moving on. Somewhere between the old world glamour of pre-war apartments and the glossy allure of the new condo build, you'll find find the overlooked New York post-war apartment. Keyword here, post-war. Sometime retro, often plain, these places are among the city's most affordable and plentiful housing options. If you are planning to buy, chances are a post-war or two will show up on your list of options, even if you're not specifically looking for one. And these places come with either their own set of pros, cons, and hidden costs. So, you know, we talked about all kinds of, you know, housing stock on the on the program in the past. What is a post-war? You know, for people who don't understand the differences in our housing stock, what is a post-war apartment building in this town? It, it, it would be defined by um, a building that is built after World War II in the 1940s through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And, you know, many of those buildings carry the trait early Post-war buildings carry the traits, leftover details around uh, deco with sunken living rooms, plaster walls. The plaster walls continued all through the 1960s. And then in the 70s, they started doing sheetrock and popcorn and all this crazy stuff. But our ceiling heights were always, the aesthetic from the outside was always one of the biggest issues. But, you know, long ago and after the really the late 80s and early 90s after that cycle of the real estate market, people were opportunistic. And you looked at, you know, 150 East 69th Street, 905th, um, all of all of Lincoln Towers, um, you know, was always was an eyesore. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But still is, still is. 201 mm-hmm. West 70th Street, all these mm-hmm. buildings that were dormant and sort of eyesores became the boards became powerful. People bought multiple combinations, and they then started combining and selling the hallways and creating amazing product. Mm-hmm. The trade-off is an exterior view is not so beautiful, the approach. And a lot of these white brick buildings that you see mostly on the Upper East Side, I mean, they're just vile to look at. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, they're they're considered, you know, wonderful buildings, post-war buildings. One of the things that I have noticed through the years in my business and showing these apartments is – for the most part, the rooms are bigger. You get lots of uh, closet space, more walk-in closet opportunities in those types of buildings. Uh, but the ceilings are very low. I mean, Park, yes. well, Park West you know. Village is a great example Absolutely. of of this massive um, opportunity to buy in a Central Park West address Absolutely. before its time. The common charges in real estate there are still the combined are less than a dollar fifty a foot. A foot. That's amazing. Wow. And it's not it's not a bad development. But, you know, people, you know, when you start out with a, with a buyer and we, we go through a lot of vetting between finances and can they afford this and can they afford that? One of the things I always do is ask them, what kind of building do you want to live in? Clearly, if it's a new development customer, that's that's stated right up front. And we have a lot of people like that. I only want new brand new condo. That's it. But if that's not the requirement, you know, I always say, do you like a post-war? Do you want a pre-war? Do you want a, you know, a condo, whatever, new condo? And Oftentimes, they don't really know what they want. And this is like a first-time buyer for the most mm-hmm. part. And so that's your opportunity to kind of take them to see one of each, which I love to do. And then at the end of that first day, they kind of say, you know what, Vince? I really don't like that that white building that we saw or that red brick post-war that we saw. But I really like that old pre-war or I really like the condo building. And it helps you hone it down. And sometimes they surprise you. Well, they I mean, I, say they want one and then they end up with the other. I, mean, I, find that, yeah. I find that buyers who are looking at resales are not as focused on the outside 
of the post-war thing. I think that they're really? more focused on the apartment itself. I think that people have issues with, um, I, I, well, you know, it's a give and take. I always say that you're, you know, you're talking to a New Yorker or you know you're talking to someone who's been here a while when they say, oh, post-war, oh, white brick, like, you know, or they say, <laughs> that's um, me, that's me. hundred um, percent. Totally. But, but at the same time, I was going to say, I think they're more focused on the inside of the apartment. I hear a lot of people who don't like post-war always say it's cookie cutter. Um, you know, like you said, the ceilings are low. Um, it, uh, windows are sometimes small, you know, and at the same time, it's so funny. I don't even think about Lincoln Towers when I think about post-war, even though 100, it's 100% it is. Um, I think it's more just very institutionalized. I think that a lot of people in the city would categorize Lincoln Towers and Rupert Towers and Yorkville Towers as all just very institutional looking. Well, um, they are. But, but they are. But, but they have value. beautiful apartments. Yeah, there's tons opportunities. Of value, tons look, of value. as opposed to renting, yeah. it's like it's one of those things where it goes mm-hmm. into that checklist on your spreadsheet of plus, mm-hmm. plus, plus, minus. Okay, well, I've got nine out of 12 of my checklist, mm-hmm. and this is where my kids, right. where I, I want to be. Sometimes the outside of the apartments really, look really, terrible, but the insides look great. I mean, there yeah. are some great apartments in yeah. these buildings. Well, it just comes down to real estate's like dating. Like, we've made that analogy so many times, and it really is. There's something for everyone, and everyone has different criteria for what they're looking for. Um, I used to have, when I first started in the industry, when I had a buyer who was open and willing to look at these sort of eyesore buildings, in my mind, I'd go, oh, this is awesome. Awful. And I try to advise them saying, well, this is a bread and butter building. And so then when you're reselling it, it'll be the same sort of buyer who was probably going to be looking for a value driven deal. If you're willing to spend more price per square foot, then you can buy in this other building because I thought I was helping them make a better choice. What I found is that was creating confusion for these buyers because they were the buyers were stuck on bang for buck. And now I've learned that it makes much more sense to match the client with what they're looking for than trying to change their personalities. That totally. Works. 100%. So, yeah, that's I mean, not always easy, but that, that's right. the right way and to Pearl's do it. That's right. the right I mean, way to do it. Yeah, pearls are like, if you have a buyer that's looking for high ceilings, you know, crown moldings, they're not going to find that in a post-store building. No. But at the same time, you know, everyone has their thing. Like, I, I always, I never think it was a coincidence that I grew up in Lincoln Towers because my dad went from Rupert Towers on the Upper East to Lincoln Towers because he said... You know, they all have parquet floors, not the greatest. They all have low ceilings, but I get great views because post-war buildings Absolutely. can build a little higher. Absolutely. And so they were mm-hmm. built to give you those views because you have the low well, ceilings. Well, back in the day before all those um – I will not say the name, but all those buildings on Riverside Boulevard, before they went up, you had magnificent views yeah. of the water and of the oh, park yeah. and of everything. I mean, you know, that man blocked all of it. So, I mean, that's... Do you guys there, think that... Uh, do you guys think... There's one thing I was always wondered is that these white brick buildings that we're all saying are like, oh, we all said it, oh... At some point, they must have been super cool. I mean, there were some people that thought they were they amazing. Were different. In, right? the, they in different. the 1960s when they were right. built. Because, look, you got to remember, if you're thinking about things architecturally in this period from the 50s and the 60s and the scale of the windows and how they changed, how um, the scale of the rooms changed. And then as we live today, those are convertible. Those dining areas are now convertible bedrooms for yes, many people. Um, I have a friend who's know, got her daughter in there. Right you, now, yeah, one of them. absolutely. But the exteriors, I'm saying that that must have been a gorgeous aesthetic at some well, point. Well, yeah, it had to have been. But, but, but I mean, hey, it, people love. You're driving down. You're walking down a, a beautiful street on the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side, and you're lined or the village or the village. But you're more more of town. But you're 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 looking at all of these pre-war either brownstones or apartment 
buildings, and then you stick in the middle of one of them a white brick, horrific looking building. I don't know what could be so no, spectacular, even, what, even in the sixties. I mean, I can't get. If you look at history, basically there was the minimalist movement in art as well in the 1950s. And so what happened in art mm. and architecture is like was the Ayn Rand mentality effectively, Absolutely. which was mm-hmm. about minimalism and function. Mm-hmm. And it was that idea of, it was almost like bringing back a puritanism that was part of American kind of fabric to begin with that came into play right after the wars um, and because it was also post-depression. So if you understand the mindset, the Red Scare, it all comes together from from art literature and, and a societal we, point of view. And really. we probably would think the same thing about glass, potentially about glass buildings, uh, mm-hmm. like ten to twenty years from now, right? I don't I like mean, them either. We could have the same. We, we we have to leave it there. We're live from Blastar Productions in <laughs> New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Well, everybody, we are back. I swear one day we're going to take the commercial mm. breaks here because I think they're more interesting than the actual show itself. <laughs> we're here with Peru, Louise, Matt, Ray, and uh, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. Okay, so storage units can be competitive, a competitive advantage at resale time. Not over, not always available, but what is the big to-do with storage units? You know, I sell a lot of new condo developments, and everybody asks the question about storage. So we all know that, especially if you're coming from the outer boroughs or the, the suburbs into the city, you've got to downsize. That usually means you need extra storage okay, but outside of your apartment. Who wants to have their suitcases and their off-season clothes in their closets when you only get so many closets? Mm-hmm. And who wants to go somewhere else to go and get like your Christmas ornaments, like or, we do, like we just did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so annoying, right? It is annoying, you and you know space. what? 
For me, you know, I mean, I sell the, I've sold the most I've ever sold a storage unit for was for I think forty eight forty eight thousand dollars. Um, and you know what? I, I would be uh, I would say that every single one of those individuals today, even in a softer market, would amortize that money into their cost basis. Although I will say that it depends on the building. Um, some buildings have a lot of, so if you're buying in a new development, like if this is a buyer or a buyer's broker listening to this, um, if you're buying in a new development, um, it is really good to ask how many storage units are in the building per the number of units in the building, because at least in the last few years, I find that the storage unit prices can be kind of outrageous in terms of price per square foot. Lucida at Excel. Yes. They have about... 30 it's oh, left yeah, over. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. nuts. And, and so, wine wine storage. Right, so there, if they have plenty of storage, then there's probably going to be an opportunity to purchase them for a lot less, a little bit down the line. Than I used trying to use to them as them. negotiation points when I was right. selling uh, the, the purchase price of the unit, and then they also wanted the storage unit. Sometimes I'd say, well, I'll give it to you for free, or sometimes I'd give it to you for half price, Right. but you got to pay this price for the apartment, whatever. Right. And as Louise says, I mean, you know, it does make sense for, I, I would love to, I have a whole basement in my pre-war building that's like a city, and they, you can put so much storage for all of us down there, and they don't do it. Wow, that would be amazing to have. And some people don't really care about it. You know, some people ask and some people don't, especially when they come to new um, new condo uh, sales. Always first question, any storage? Yep. Also, people like to put their bikes in their personal storage room mm-hmm. because they're expensive bikes and they don't want to put them where they get all banged up in uh, bike rooms where people are not so careful, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of carelessness going on. So, And then like skis, skateboards. I mean, there's, it's endless. I want the Christmas tree boxes out of my closet. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want suitcases and Christmas tree boxes out. Just because put them I in the basement and see what they do. <laughs> just start the trend. You just, just start it. the trend. Well, we're, they're building a gym in my, not that I care about the gym, I like Equinox, but they're building a gym in my building after all of these years. And I'm thinking, well, where did that come from? I would prefer, no one asked me, I would prefer to have storage than, than a gym. What do you guys right? think about the shared storage space places that some of these buildings have. I'll take whatever. That are open? Yeah, yeah. They're not, that's yeah. not bad, right? Whatever. It's not bad at all. Yeah. It's kind of like I mean, a community situation. You kind of just put your stuff in a corner. Well, I mean, I think that, that you you have fire concerns on, on, on making sure that that's disciplined and, and somebody is securing yeah. that that um, so that it's not dangerous. But I think that, you know, listen, if in buildings that I didn't have enough storage because the retail had it, mm-hmm. we've done shelves and we try to allocate so that people can right. do what you can do. Right, right. Because luggage and Christmas stuff, I mean, yeah, is I mean, that valuable really? You yeah. know? But, but, but share it, I mean, that, that's fine. As long as you, I'll take whatever you give me because anything you can take out of your apartment to give you more inside closet space mm-hmm. is always a plus. Anyway, moving on, you are representing a seller in sale in the sale of a co-op apartment, okay? Operative word, co-op apartment. The buyer is working with his own buyer's agent and has instructed his agent to not share the co-op package with you. Send it directly into the managing agent so the listing agent doesn't get to see it. Is it customary for the listing agent to review the package before it is submitted to the building's management agent and the board? Can a buyer prevent the seller's agent listing agent from seeing that package and if and if so is that smart to do i've had this before yeah and i I will say i just had this right now and and when i don't know the broker i always put in my deal summary language that goes into it that um if they are if it's an all-cash deal like i just had now and it has to be submitted in 10 business days that it is provided um to me 
10 business days I never as opposed to the managing agent. Mm-hmm. If I don't know the broker, if I'm mm-hmm. dealing with any of you guys, I don't need to. It's mm-hmm. a standard professional industry mm-hmm. way of doing business. But when you don't know, and it, and I have had um, buyers say to their broker, who are brokers I do business with, and that's where... Our educate us educating those buyers is is key and important in managing it. So it's not confrontational. It doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's yeah. always a good idea. I mean, mm-hmm. especially with cops, because mm-hmm. boards are not easy. And you know, especially when you're dealing with, not even dealing with, but it's always good to have two sets of eyes. First of all, um, and and with brokers like Louise and Nikki Fields and you know Mara Blum, people who work in co-ops a lot, you know, they're they've been doing this for so long. They know how a board package should be. So especially when you have that second set, you know, it's never a bad thing. And it's also one of the reasons why brokers in our business have relationships. Again, to talk about the bidding war, we're now in the board package. Like we're in this relationship business, not only with our clients, but with our agents, because we're working together towards the same goal. Absolutely. And Matt, you know, from doing business with me is that when it's my exclusive, I am like, a soldier on how I want things done. But you when it's know. Your, <laughs> when it's, <laughs> but when it's your listing, it's like, how do you want it done? Right. But, but, let me, pr- but let me ask a question here, though. So to, to get back to the to the buyer who has instructed his agent not to give it to the listing agent. So we all agree that it, it makes the most sense for us to look at it, to review, because after all, it is our listing. We know things about the building, maybe certainly the board, if you sold in the building before, it makes sense. But why would a buyer say, I don't want the listing agent to look at my package. Because it tells you your entire life. I mean, it's It's all about privacy. It's a privacy, but also that is there's symptomatic details that one can experience when you, if you do offering forms the way that I do offering forms and I mandate representation in the negotiating period, then I've already seen all those details. And if they want their their if they want their social security stuff high hidden, I have zero ego on that. I also think it's managing expectations again. You yeah. know, if you have a buyer who's buying in a co-op, they have to understand that this board package is not only being seen by the seller's broker, it's being seen by the management company, it's being seen by the whole board, no matter if it's two people on the board or eight people on the board. So they need to understand that if they're worried about someone looking at their private information, then they shouldn't buy in a co-op. Honestly, because and, 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 yeah. and I, it really sucks to you, like for, you know, for lack of better terms for agents out there it really sucks to put that to put your broker in that position because well, it's the, a really awkward conversation the truth is though that but I think not all brokers had. are created equal certainly and mm, there are clearly. brokers who don't know how to manage this with their own clients when it's my listing and this situation has come up a couple of times in the dozen years I've been doing this and and um, basically what I've ended up doing is really just writing an email that I sent to the buyer's broker, sort of explaining sort of everything that we're saying in this room, uh, explaining to the buyer why this is actually in their best interest to allow me to review it as well. And that it also is in my seller's best interest because if we don't, if I don't get to review this and turn this in and then it has a turn down because of things that I could have helped prevented, then that's also not fair to my client. The one There's time also that this a representative happened, good faith. What is a good faith? Absolutely. Well, right. The, the, the one time that this happened to me, this goes way back, maybe 10 years or more, at Lincoln Towers, known to have extremely difficult boards. Um, I was the listing agent and it was a direct deal. So I had the buyer and the seller. 
and the buyer was buying the the parents were buying for the daughter, which is red flag number one at Lincoln Towers in those days. I don't know if it's changed, but anyway, it was allowed in this building, but there are still situations. Anyway, the buyer says to me, uh, I'm going to submit the board package to the managing agent tomorrow. I said, well, wait a minute, you need to send it to me. I need to look at it, whatever. And I thought, now there isn't a buyer's agent. There's He's not giving it to me. He's going to take this board package and send it to the managing agent. Oh, he did. And I called the, the managing agent. I forgot who it was at the time at 150 uh, West End Avenue. And she said, oh, yeah, we received it. I said, well, and he and she, and he, she said to me, and he said, if Vince asks to review this, don't let him. <laughs> oh, God. She knew right away what I was going to ask. So I said, I mean, you know this board. You're going to send this package in? She said, well, I didn't look at it yet, but whatever. P.S. Long story short, there were a few things missing uh, that she went back to him and mm-hmm. asked for. But overall, the package was okay. They passed the board <laughs> and the deal closed. But, I mean, that could have gone completely sideways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Completely <clears throat> sideways. Anyway, that, that's that's what happens there. Uh, just be be careful because it's not a situation where we want to find ourselves at any time. But the buyer's allowed. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't make that point. Well, the buyer has a right to say, I do not want you, the true. seller's agent to look at the package. Like, that is an There's important no thing. There's no rule that says, right. or law that says a buyer has to right. submit it to which, anybody. Which right. is why, to double protect your seller, mm-hmm. having language in the contract that purchaser agrees to allow. I never thought about that after all this idea, time. Yeah. I never do you do thought it about the broker summary or do you actually put it in the I contract? do it in the broker's summary for my attorney and their right. attorney. Right. So Makes sense. That they, yep. So so do I do that, but there is this then there's a question of do you say I have a right to review with final review before it goes in, or I just have a chance to look at it. Because that came up like, I mean, I've had this so many times so happen. Um, and I would even say, Louise, um, you know, you said like you trust the brokers here, so you probably wouldn't ask. I still try to get it in because it's not so much that I don't trust these I brokers. I have language that I've vetted. I'm right. not quite sure, remember what it, well, what it well, said. No, but I was going to say, like, even because it's not so much the brokers, it's their buyers sometimes that are crazy. So this way, if you can get it in early before things get – because sometimes things get contentious down the road. So this way, the it helps the buyer's agent also because the buyer's agent can say, hey, look, we have this in the contract. You have to show the seller's agent. The, you know what I mean? So my point is even if there's a good, quote-unquote, buyer's Amen. agent, Mm-hmm. I still like to get it in there, you know, because I, I think it's always And do you do helps. yours in the deal summary or do you direct to the attorney? No, deal summary. I, I, I do I in the deal summary. In, well, I put, yeah, I put it in the deal summary. I usually give our attorney a heads up, like the sales attorney a heads up, mm-hmm. and, and then she negotiates it uh, on our behalf. But like I it said- It goes there, in the rider. Right, it goes in the rider. But there is a distinction. We have to, we play with the language a lot because sometimes the lawyer for the buyer says, no way, I'm not doing this. But then if you say, okay, well, how about the, the seller just- gets a chance to look at it first, but seller's doesn't have broker. final s- seller's broker, sorry. Seller's broker has a chance to look at it first, not a chance to necessarily... I've never had change. pushback like that. Yeah, why, would a, yeah. why would an attorney, a buyer's attorney, push back and say, no, you can't look at that? Privacy. Because I also but, think, but I mean, it's to the best interest of the buyer, yeah, I think. Exactly. I think a buyer's lot. attorney that maybe doesn't have enough experience exactly. in New York City real estate, I think I was just going to say yeah. that's probably it, the first one that would turn something like yeah. that down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There are a lot of buyer's attorneys that, a lot of attorneys in general don't like brokers. I'm sure you guys not. have worked with them. There are some that know the you broker think? is critical to the deal, and we know those. We love those. But there are some that really think that a broker just, quote, gets in the way, unquote. You know, they I'm just kinda, fighting with one this past weekend. Almost crashed a deal. I'm hoping it gets signed today, but I can go on and on, but we're out of time on this segment. But truly, some of these attorneys in this town are horrific, and you know, you've got to be all over them and on top of things. And literally, a $2.6 million deal almost went 
Well, you got to kill him with kindness, darling. Start a little southern <laughs> accent. Just say hi, darling. <laughs> if I looked like you and sounded like you, I could, but that's not going to happen for coming from me. Anyway, He's we got have to leave it there. Take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Are you The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-294. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. We're back with Peru Brombat from Compass, Louise Phillips Forbes from Hall State Real Estate, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Ray Lord from Douglas Element, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. Okay, so here's my favorite topic. It's no surprise that the high-stakes world of real estate would latch on to any new medium or technology to sell property. Now, the 15 years that I'm in this business, we've gone from nothing to, I mean, I don't even know where we are today. From social media to virtual reality, it's all about closing the deal. Two of the platforms of the moment, Facebook Live and Snapchat, may not be truly revolutionary. And actually, Instagram stories, I would add to that, may not be truly revolutionary for the real estate world. But according to interviews with a handful of New York top brokers and other agents who are making these mediums part of their sales and promotion strategies, there are plenty of ways to use them to connect and transact in new ways. How instrumental do you think as agents around this table here this morning think it is uh, for the success of our continued business? How often do you use it 
for real estate purposes. As if you think about where people wanted to be, like with commercials back in the day when people were watching TV, people's TV now is Snapchat or Instagram stories. I find it super important. I post stuff all the time. You, I've gotten, you do really w- beautiful stories on Instagram. Thank you. <laughs> I, I also think that, remember that we are, um, you know, I think it's about giving somebody a little insight to who you are. Exactly. And then people, instead of, I don't like to promote on those uh, as much as I want to celebrate my personal life and who and how I live. Yeah, it's sharing what's going so on. So it's family, it's uh, the yeah. creative edge around that um, to give insight to who I am. I also think that there's a difference between mediums and social media. I think, you know, I think that when we're talking about like these virtual um, videos and, and these like 3D classes that they use now to show apartments or houses, I think that that's not necessary. I agree. And and I think that the percentage of success there is extremely low. Yeah. Um, but I do find social media to be a huge impact on our industry. Um, I agree with Louise. I, I don't think, you know extreme promotion is a great thing but but I also think that it's you know just like Ray and I both do this you know there's a good spectrum I guess there's a good spectrum of one of the when Instagram and when Facebook I guess was becoming less popular and Instagram was becoming more popular um, my mentor in the beginning of my career said to me I think it's a really good idea for you to separate your social media accounts I think that you should have your personal one I think you should have your your real estate one and I said to him I utterly disagree with you and, um, you know, love you, but disagree. And I got to say, excuse me, one of the best millennial decisions I made, because I think that just like Louise said, it's great to be able to show people that you're human. It's great to be able to show people that you have two different parts of your life. Like we all at this table love real estate and what we do, but we also love our lives and our families. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, to be able to promote both of those things, at least for me, is a, is a huge part of my life. There's I agree two, with you. two very specific right. things that I think come up in this conversation. One is the, you know, the separation of personal versus professional or com- uh, conjoined. And um, May also, our COO of Compass uh, recently went to a women's forum um, where it was like Sharon uh, Salzberg was <clears> there. A like bunch of just movers and shakers across industries, super strong feminine representation. And she sent company-wide sort of a write-up of what her findings were. And one of the most interesting things that I found and I celebrated immediately was that women are asking for a much more seamless identity from home to work life and backwards in the, you know, 50s, 80s, whatever, um, you know, male-dominant workspaces were very much, you know, professional life. People had their suits and their work images, and then they were very different at home. That Obviously, technology and tech companies have already started breaking that down, but it is a big ask from the women in the workforce. So I do think that that barrier is going to continue to break down further. And secondly, as far as like the social media platforms are concerned, uh, Google did have the highest number of um, what we call, hold on, I, I had the exact term in front of me. Um, sort of like just web-driven traffic or any sort of um, uh, what word am I looking for here? Uh, I just lost it. But basically just web-generated leads were coming mostly from Google. Um, Facebook 
outdid them this year at 40%. So most web publishers were getting 40% of the referral traffic it's interesting from how, Facebook and not Google earlier this it's, year. It's so interesting it's how interesting a lot of people have adopted statistic. this Instagram thing, and I think it's great, but I still go back and I say it all the time, the, the, you cannot beat the power of Facebook. Facebook is quite interesting not only from a real estate perspective, but I think more people get their news. I think more people get their daily information. I mean, I do. In the morning, I don't put the, the news on like I used to because I just open my Facebook feed and everything that happened overnight is posted somewhere that it, I'm going to see. For in, me, it's in, that and John Oliver. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's it. <laughs> well, and I, think that, and I so, think this also goes towards an even bigger and greater conversation of that spectrum of how much of your life is is being an agent. You know, and and I think that's important of where to go with this because of all the agents that do listen, especially the newer ones. And you know, I'm right after this, I'm I'm getting coffee for like a half hour with you know a new agent in the business that wants to pick my brain and and one of the things he said to me a few weeks ago was you know how do you handle the subject of is this your life is, is being a real estate broker your life and and I think it, it, all, it all yeah and I, I say to him I'm like honestly it all goes back to that do you live to work or work to live yeah. you know I I love what we do and 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 it's a huge part of my life. I would say probably 90%. I agree, but I've always but told people. you have to have a balance. I've always told people at the beginning, you have to make a distinct, especially with your clients, like you have to be a person first. Right. 100%. Agreed. You're an agent second. You're right. And you wrote a, wrote a great piece on that. And I think we've talked about that on yeah. this program where we should going forward. But the point is, you know, just to give a simple answer, yes, mm-hmm. as a real estate agent, it is your life. Because we work... So unconventional. We don't go nine to five. We don't sit in an office because we have to. We've got to punch in and punch out. We work where and when we need to. But I'm my real estate has on 24 by 7. Even when I'm out socializing with friends or at a party or with family, wherever it is, you don't turn that off because there's always something that's in there from earlier that day or that you have to do the next day that you have to think about or that you have to solve. So, yes, it does become who you are, but you're a person first and then an agent second. Right. I think Keep that in perspective and you're you're fine. I you think know? what Ray said is really important. I think your clients need to see you as obviously an expert right. in what we're doing and providing a home for them or selling their home, but they need to see us as a person. They need to see us as a like-minded individual. And and that is so extremely important. I can't tell you how I'm I'm almost friends with all my clients on Facebook, you know, and they all when we're together, we're not just talking about real estate, we're talking about like me dancing with my mom or me with my, you know, cousins at a bar mitzvah. Like it's important. To, right. and it, we yeah. have about a minute and a half left and I wanted to just get to this last thing. It's that time of year again when having a working fireplace sounds pretty damn fantastic. Just think of evenings spent streaming Netflix by the fire or sipping wine with a loved one. But don't they call that Netflix and chill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then again, when it warms up outside, a terrace can provide a refreshing escape from inside of one's apartment. So... Brick Underground does their wonderful surveys and says, would you rather have a terrace or would you rather have a working fireplace in your home? So easy. I don't know if what are the statistics so I don't know that? if Chill is sipping wine with a loved one, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Outdoor. Netflix and What do you say? Have a fireplace on your terrace. <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, can terrace. do this. <laughs> Everybody says a fireplace? No, we all say terrace. Terrace. Terrace, terrace. What are the statistics? In terms of for the well, you said on lease break they they asked that 
I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> yeah, did you no, say no, that? No, it just kidding. Brick on the ground. Never mind. Okay, the yeah. verdict is everybody wants a tariff. Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. And with that, we're out of time. That's our show for today. Thanks to my guest, as always. Until next time, be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.